G'day boys and girls. Welcome back to the 14th edition of The Wrap. You know we've got another big one coming for you. To my left, I have our special guest for the week, Armin Akrelian. That's how you pronounce it, correct? Armin Akrelian or Alexis Bush. Or Alexis Bush. Alexis Bush. Uh, on my right, I have Andy Cameron, the familiar face. How are you, mate? Not too bad, mate. Uh, been a big Mother's Day today, so a big family outing. Big, big drive back, but we're good. We're good today. We did have a good day. Um, now, Alexis Bush... He's an interesting character. He's uh, very politically involved. Uh, he's also got his own side hustles where he does four-wheel driving through the highlands of Victoria. Is that correct? Why don't you Out, give us the... back Victoria. Okay, all right. Why don't you give us a rundown of what, what it is that goes on in your life? I, uh, well, I'm, I'm politically active during campaigns. Otherwise, I go into my little shell and I just rant on about your old lefty who makes a comment here and there and what seems to be trending in the news with the lefties generally just mm. like to trigger them you know right how i'm um a bit provocative that way but uh, otherwise uh, i'm i'm pretty tied up working for a pastoral company yeah and um and on the side and and sort of it works quite well with my job my full-time job um is i've got this social enterprise called back to the bush it's all about raising awareness of australian bush culture the environment um, you name it, you know, bringing the bush in onto people's smartphones, TVs, tablets, whatever, you know, whatever tickles you fancy that, you know, wherever you want to watch your content. But um, I, I thought it's, I've always had a passion for the bush. Um, I, I grew up in the city. I mean, I had no real, I don't have family that's gone into the bush and, and sort of been a, you know, Malcolm Douglas or a Russell Coit. But um, <laughs> after Malcolm Douglas died, um, I looked at sort of the, um, looked at all the personalities that, that go into the bush and promote the bush and I really couldn't see anyone that's going to replace Malcolm Douglas anytime soon so I thought you know what I'll just start it now and see if I'm getting my old age of when just before Malcolm Douglas died um, you know if you know I might end up like you might get a troopy and go around Australia and by that time I'd have a lot of experience under my belt because I started at such a young age and mm. yeah it's just all about bringing awareness of the Australian bush, the environment. I do free tag along tours, um, you name it. It's just a passion which fuels my fire. Okay, awesome. Well, we're going to come back at the end of the podcast and really get stuck into Back to the Bush. Um, but we've got a few big things lined up and you've been on the campaign trail and as we always like to do, we like to do a domestic story and an international story, but the loyal listeners, the loyal listeners the day of the ones, podcast, the day, the day ones, ones know that first off the bat every week we do a jumping to conclusions in honor of our wives and girlfriends we say something that is not backed up by evidence or of any common knowledge and we say it and then whichever one we like the best we like to discuss it at the end so um and andy and i are going to say mm -hmm. something you choose which one is more interesting which we'll come back to towards the end of the podcast and explore it okay so, Andy, have you got your jumping to conclusion for this week? Look, um, last week mine was actually semi-prepared, which was a bit rare, but we've gone back to our old ways. <laughs> of um, making up a below-par one. Making up a below-par one. Um, but mine is that everyone should participate in some form of art, in creating art. Creating art? Yeah. Good for the soul, huh? Good for the soul. Beautiful for the soul. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jess McCartney over here. That's the I'm a were your girlfriend. Yeah. Okay. All the um, my conclusion is that the NRL should have a trade window like the NBA where teams can trade players in the middle of the season to spice it up. Um, now, Armin, 
ones I don't, I don't know which one interests you more to explore at the end do you both, have a both preference do. both do but i'm gonna have to make an executive decision you will mm. do you do you want to make it now mm. see that that's that's that is interesting i don't follow the nrl religiously mm. i follow it enough where i able to make educated yeah. bits um that'll make my life a little bit hard so I'd go for art. Andy, okay, we're doing art. anyone can do art. You can piss in the snow and that's art. It is. Right. Exactly, you can do, um, exactly right. Andy is the, the Arts and Crafts Friday man. Look, that's I have horrible fine motor skills, so I can't <laughs> paint, draw to save my life, but you know what? Let's give it a crack. <laughs> okay, so first story is a domestic story, and we're going to do uh, an interesting one, uh, I guess, because usually... On this podcast, we kind of lean a little bit towards the right. We lean a bit libertarian, um, which we find more of a natural home in the Liberal Party than in the Labor Party. But today we're going to do a story which I think demonstrates some forward-thinking ability of the Labor Party, potentially. Potentially. Um, we don't know if it's going to uh, actually uh, come, come to fruition, um, but... Andy, why don't you introduce it? Because it's your story. Well, um, on the campaign trail, the week out before the election, Labor has released its costings, showing a bigger budget surplus every year and culminating in a $21.7 billion surplus by 2022-23 as a result of the changes to the two-class tax system, which they've sort of coined. Um, personally, I, don't, I haven't heard that before, but it's just saying that some people get off uh, on loopholes and stuff like that while like the everyday person um like just has a bit of a rougher go with with taxes pretty much mm. and so labor's promised the 21.7 billion dollar surplus which equates to one percent of our gdp four years earlier than the coalition which is something that you wouldn't really expect considering fiscally uh the liberals the liberal- have been branded as the fiscally more responsible party and have probably had a more responsible uh, fiscal policy track record track record at least since John Howard yeah but um, um, yeah but the uh, the costings do not include any future increase in the new start unemployment benefit even though labor has flagged a review um, and a proposal to lift that payment by $75 a week uh, would cost the federal budget 3.3 billion dollars a year so okay. that's something that has been uh, omitted but um, maybe flagged for review later is pretty much the vibe we've, we've gotten there from, from Labor. Um, and it says, uh, Josh Frydenberg, um, who's a member of the coalition, said that uh, today's announcement... The treasurer. I'm not sure, the treasurer. I wasn't sure whether it was him or Cormac. Well, but... Yeah, he's the deputy of the Liberals, right? And that's treasurer. right. That's right, and treasurer. Yeah. Yeah. So um, today, he said today's announcement by the Labor Party leaves a big black hole and doesn't explain the negative economic impact that $387 billion of higher taxes will have on the economy. Um, and another side note is that Labor's promise to restore the full growth in hospital funding would cost $33.7 billion over the decade. Okay. Um, Armin, initial reactions? <laughs> Do you trust well, it? No, definitely not. <laughs> what, when uh, was the last time Labor delivered a surplus? Well, they've been, I think Swan, Swanny, our, our mate Swan, every year advertised a budget surplus, but didn't deliver any. Now, that being said, um, Swanny's not the treasurer. It's Bowen. 
It's the bowmeister, the boa constrictor. <laughs> bow and arrow. <laughs> what do you think? Um, do you think they'll be able to deliver a more responsible, or or do you think they'll be able to pay off the debt in a better, more quick way, or a better way than the liberals? Well, definitely, uh, my biased opinion, to be completely frank, is that liberals will deliver surplus next year as well, and they are, of course, more fiscally responsible as a government. Um, the Liberals have set up the budget to essentially start pumping out surpluses. And it's a bit of a weird one because if Labor gets in on a hung parliament, or let's just just to say they get in with a one-seat majority even, um, the Senate looks like is going to be even more of a dog's breakfast. So a lot of these crazy things that Bill Shorten wanted to pass, they're not probably going to get knocked back in the senate which i think will be more conservatively aligned than it is now um and so as a result you know next year they might be a surplus because they really haven't made any major changes um you know they're all the big stuff they want to pass might get knocked back so they might they might right so even if even if labor gets into government they might accidentally get surpluses they might that's accidentally. Well, yeah, I guess you want to call it. And then the liberals will be cheering potentially the the conservative voters out there. Well, no, they that the label will be ribbon ribbon cutting that. Be like, oh, we delivered a surplus. Yeah, you know. But I'm sure there'd be some happy happy campers who 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 say, well, whoever delivers us a benefit a, a surplus, we're kind of happy with that. Yeah. Oh, um, of course. I mean, as an Australian, you would be happy with a surplus, no matter which government delivers it but it's the policy behind it which is yeah. yeah I think the, the point is that it's now if it's not like a purposeful surplus then it's now, not really what I will say what I, what I think is interesting is well, I don't know any of the details of this two class tax system right I don't actually know what they're proposing or what the loopholes are and I assume that even if I did read them I wouldn't understand them because I don't under you know that that's how accountants make their money right same way lawyers make their money is it the accounting system is so damn complicated and the accounting law books are that damn thick that the only people who know them are actually like the, the massive accounting firms or the massive lawyer firms, right? And so they're actually kind of invested in making the accounting process more complicated or the law process more complicated, depending on, on where you are. So I'm a fan of trying to make things simpler for the average person uh, and just make government stuff simpler in general, make things more easy to comply with, more understandable. Um, now, whether that will actually yield real benefits in this scenario, I don't understand. But what I do know is that there are probably a lot of uh, high wealth uh, or high value individuals, very wealthy individuals, uh, who have accountants working full time uh, to make them pay less tax, right? Now, my personal philosophy is that if they made the money, I'd like them to be able to keep as much of the money as possible. Um, but if we're operating in a system which has a bunch of loopholes in it, um, I think it's probably better that it's kind of that the policy gets implemented as it should, and we can work off that basis rather than a broken policy with heaps of loopholes. Does that make sense? Trying to catch on, mate. Andy, do you have any reaction to that? Look, I um, I'm sort of confused on what you just said but well let us know in the comments below if that rant made sense i hope it did but if it didn't uh it's no use explaining it again it'll take too long and i don't want to waste our listeners time i just think transparency overall and simplicity and then compliance with a simple system is generally a good thing and something that 
you should work towards. I think that's agreeable. Um, but I don't know that uh, that principle is going to uh, come to fruition or, or, or yield any real benefits. Yeah. And the, um, yeah, and the problem is like with most of like budget costings or whatever, they come out in like the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we see that uh, labor here is going to uh, get such a surplus so much quicker mm-hmm. um, than anyone really expected, it's mm-hmm. somewhat concerning in my um, eyes. In that this is the best case scenario, but a lot of the time. We you don't, don't get a best case you scenario. You don't get the best case you scenario. Get, you don't get a best case scenario, but definitely. I mean, as someone who uh, isn't actually voting, um, but will be in the next election, I'm hoping that if they do get elected, they deliver mm. a... Now, my understanding also is that Josh Frydenberg's budget is based on optimistic projections of global yeah, economic I'm growth. I'm sure on both sides they um, would be. But on to uh, maybe a, a, a slight... You know, slight tangent, but similar um, in potential praise for Labor is they announced uh, a, uh, an intention to build a high-speed rail network. Um, now, Australia has, my understanding, has been talking about building a high-speed rail network, particularly from Melbourne to Sydney, uh, for like 30 years, right? But nobody's actually ever done it. And to the best of my knowledge, the reason why we haven't done it is because of the lobbying power of Qantas, which would be crippled if it didn't have exclusive access to the Melbourne-Sydney f- uh, flying mm-hmm. route. Mm-hmm. Um, now, my natural reaction is always, well, if if the business can't compete in like a fair way, um, and if we deliver benefits to the Australian people and there's a business that can't compete with that, well, then it's kind of their own damn fault um, because they're obviously not delivering goods or services which are valuable enough to Australians uh, to keep them afloat, right? Um, so I appreciate Labor. It's it's forward thinking, but it's forward thinking that should have happened three years ago, uh, 30 years ago, and every government since then should have taken it on because China's leaving us in the dust, Japan's leaving us in the dust, and to not have a rail network that goes from Melbourne through Sydney through to Brisbane is, is insane because not only would it mean that there's a there's an alternative to flying, which is just good, and there's more competition there. But it would also mean that living in Sydney is actually uh, a much higher quality experience because you'll get all these people who realise they can actually get to Sydney CBD in 20 minutes from Wollongong or Newcastle. Um, you'd get a, a massive economic upturn in those cities and you'd actually get, I think, a much higher living standard in Sydney just through less traffic, lower housing prices, and I think kind of... It's just a great benefit, and we've just got this one damn airline company which is standing in the way. Now, Armin, do you have any reactions to that? I, I'm a big fan of high-speed rail. In mm. fact, if you remember, well before the state election campaign was underway, um, the Berejiklian government uh, made a commitment to actually seriously investigate high-speed rail options um, outside within a, within a radius um, around Sydney, I think as far as Orange, Right. As far south as Canberra, um, as far north as um, I think it was, was north, more north than, than Newcastle, but um, and it's great because it's going to mean I think I had, I had these rough projections. I said from from Lithgow to Sydney, you're going to be from Lithgow to Sydney is you're going to be mm. in Sydney in 20, 25 minutes or something. Yeah, and imagine what it'll do to the property prices out there all along that corridor. Yeah, um, you know and and. Businesses will, will, will 
flourish out, mm. out in these regional centers. And I think yeah. it'd be a great lifestyle yeah. as well. There's mm. a lot of people who don't really like the city, but like they don't like the busyness and the congestion. They would love to have a bit more land, a bit more fresh air. Mm. They'd love to live out there. The problem is they got a job that's in the mm. CBD, yeah. right? But if you could switch that up, it'd be, it, it could be a real game changer yeah. for a lot of people. And it's it's great. Uh, it would be great for like even if it's j- like just within New South Wales, even if it's not just like Melbourne to Brisbane, but out to these like regional centres, it'd be great there because mm. even like accessibility wise, like you have people that have to come from out like well into the country um, in order to like have doctors' appointments, like mm. go see specialists and stuff like that. Where if you're like you you can either fly, which is like pretty inconvenient considering it's like small airports. Mm. Um, and, like, and then if you can just get there in 25 yeah. minutes and I mean, an hour, it'd be amazing. China's high-speed rail is actually really good and more, way more convenient a lot of times because it's like you go, you get to the actual train station like 15 minutes before the train leaves, you quickly walk through the security thing, you go to your platform and you just get on, right? It's not like you have to go through this elaborate security thing. You have to check your bags in, you have to, um, uh, you know... W- go through these customs and everything it's i don't know if we'd have that same thing in australia but a lot of people for a lot of people um even though a a plane flight might only be like one hour and a high-speed train might be three hours when you add up the travel Mm. time in between and the fact that the train stations are usually right in the middle of the city it ends up being actually a fair bit quicker and a fair bit cheaper if you're going from shanghai to one of the surrounding cities like nanjing suzhou or like hangzhou or something um, and that might well be the case. I don't think it'd be the case for Melbourne. It might be a bit longer, but what I'm saying is that there's, it can actually be a much better way to travel than flying in terms of the it's, overall experience. Look, it's the same thing as people who fly from Sydney to Canberra. Yeah. I've on multiple occasions beat people to Sydney driving. Right. You know. Yeah. That's the same thing. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Andy, anything? Anything more? I just like the forward thinking. Yeah. Like, you... Oh, you get you get a little pat on the back, Labor, for your forward thinking, and I appreciate that. I'd give you a hug if you actually went and did it. Um, but just throwing it out there, you get you get a couple points. You get a couple playground points for that. I think it's just um, tough luck for Qantas on this one. Yeah, just, Alan um, Joyce can go suck eggs if he's if he's stopping this. So uh, yeah, I think we need to move on move on onto this high speed rail. Okay, very cool. Um, now, our second story, an international story. We did a little bit on big tech censorship last week, but you know we couldn't help going back again because not only was uh, as as we've covered previously, Tommy Robin Tommy Robinson got totally banned from almost all platforms. Um, you had Avi Yemeni get his, get a bunch of his uh, accounts blocked or suspended after he was stitched up by Jim Jeffries and Comedy Central. Scumbag, um, scumbag Jim Jeffries, scumbag Jim Jeffries. Now. There's been a whole lot more injustices uh, in the social media uh, banning world, um, but we have an interesting um, joining together of these two stories and our guest, Armin. Um, so Arvi has been campaigning for Tommy Robinson for the EU elections, correct? He's been like overseas trying to help Tommy out. Is that right, Armin? I'm not, I'm not privy to exactly what he's helping him out with, but... Yeah, I believe he's helping Tommy out with something. He's helping Tommy out with something, right? So Arby, on his own Instagram, even though Tommy's account is banned, right? Tommy's account is banned. Arby took a selfie with Tommy's face blurred out in it. 
So you can kind of tell it's Tommy, but it's not Tommy's face, it's blurred out. Now, Instagram then took that photo down for like violating its hateful policy guidelines or something because it's designated Tommy as like a hateful, a hateful figure, right? Um, so you can't even post a photo with Tommy Robinson, who could be the most popular political figure in Britain. Uh, you can't post a photo with it. He's definitely more popular than Theresa May. You can't, you can't put a photo with him uh, on Instagram, even with his damn face blurred out. Well, you sure he's more popular than Theresa May? Well, the it, media will say five people rocked up to his protest, remember? Oh, my goodness. Um, the protest for Tommy Robinson was probably like the most significant protest in Britain that we've seen in like a long time. There were tens and tens of thousands of people going, Tommy Salvini. No one else heard about it except us because we keep an eye on that stuff. Yeah. Or except probably everybody in London if you were there because it would have been that damn loud. Mm. Um, but no, then they'll, yeah, like they'll tell you about um, some, They you know, the media will cover is the, the sleeping giants protest of Sky News with like eight people outside it. Um, they'll cover the uh, the Lakers protest outside the Staples Centre, which looked uh, that had like appalling. eight people as well. Um, but we so we appreciate we appreciate Arvi's effort. We give a quick shout out to Arvi. We always we've been covering a fair bit of Arvi's content on our Instagram. We actually got the follow from Arvi recently, that which means, was uh, um, really which was really nice. Means, we we got to gave ourselves a little pat on the back there. Again, some traction. Clout has increased. Our cloud increased ten points. I had to force him to follow my page. Did you? I go, can you press follow? It's like, oh, press it. Now, we don't, we've never really engaged with Arby privately, but we do have the benefit of having someone on the podcast who has. Now, Armin is a big fan of Arby, says Arby is the same off screen as he is on screen. Um, why don't you give us what you think Arby's main contributions are to like uh, polit- political debate? What do you think his main points are? Maybe in a, a little watered-down version so as not to put yourself in any trouble. Um, I don't care if I get into trouble. And what do you think he's like off-screen? And it does it, how does it reflect? Uh, Arvi is, is a larrikin through and through. Um, real proud Australian, real proud Jew, and, and that emanates from him both on and off-screen. Uh, he's a really passionate um, individual. Look, what you see is what you get with Arvi on screen and off screen. He's just the exact same larrikin. Um, of course, um, you know, you can have a little bit more in-depth conversation with him in person. Um, and, and you, um, well, I guess it depends on how well you know Arvi, then you'll, you know, just, just like with any other person, you'll, um, you'll learn a lot of their secrets and, and personal things. And uh, Arvi, I think, is very down to earth and, and he... Um, in per- oh, the word down to earth is used a lot lately, by the way. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's a good way of describing someone. But I genuinely mean it. He's really down to earth, really genuine. And he really does want the best for um, Australia in his view. Um, I, I do see eye to eye with him on, on a lot of things and a couple of things I don't, which is the beauty of um, human nature and free speech and everything. You can you can agree and disagree. And, um, well... In, a, in, the, in the perfect world as libertarians would like it, you know you'd want free and honest and, and violent free debate mm. but unfortunately um, anyone who's got a different mind to the establishment and the left mm. establishment and all that mm. um, and which Arby unfortunately gets himself mm. into well, yeah. let's do a quick recap of how we actually now Arby was did have a, a pretty substantial online presence before we started covering his stories we didn't we, we didn't uh, engage with him before didn't 
Um, I, I wasn't following him, didn't really know much yeah. about him. The story that brought our attention to Arvi and probably um, really skyrocketed Arvi's popularity was when he went to, he was flown out to do an interview with Jim Jeffries. Now, Jim Jeffries is actually a rich, he, he's Australian, but he lives in Hollywood and does the Jim Jeffries show for Comedy Central, right? Um, now, he flew Arvi out and did an interview with him. I think it was right, it would have been like about five months ago. It would have been about five months ago from today, four or five months ago. But regardless, it was like two or three months before the Christchurch attack, right? Now, one of Arvi's main points is questioning Islamic immigration. Would, 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 is that fair? Correct. Yeah. He's questioning Islamic immigration, right? So Arvi says there are significant problems, not with Muslims, but within Islam, uh, which, which naturally uh, lead to problems in society where the most uh, kind of full-believing Muslims who are fully subscribed to the Quran uh, make it incompatible with some Australian cultural norms and institutions, right? Would you say that's, yeah, that's West, fair? Western, Western, yeah. Right, so things like freedom of speech, things like respect for like women, um, things like this yeah, that we might take yeah. for granted, he feels like uh, Islam is incompatible with. Now, he then did that interview, and it was an interview that went for, I think, over an hour long, right? And what ended up happening was Jim Jeffries, the sneaky dog, in the final product, which he aired on his on his kind of like late night talk show, where he um, shows himself as this awesome, moral, righter than now guy, is that he took Arby's answers from some questions uh, and edited them edited them as if he was answering different questions, right? And so what it did was it made Arby look like a racist or an Islamophobe, or kind of, it made Arby look really terrible in a way that didn't affect the reality of the interview at all. Now, the good thing and the smart thing that Arby did was he secretly recorded the whole interview after getting advice from Tommy Robinson, who'd been totally stitched up, which you can see in the hashtag Panodrama documentary. Look that up, because that'll blow your mind about the BBC that the, Britons, the, the British are paying for, and we, we covered that a little bit. Um, but so anyway, he filmed it and he filmed the whole thing and exposed Jim Jeffries. And then he put that video online. He then got uh, invited on like Infowars, Louder with Crowder, uh, Ruben Report. Uh, he went, he, so he did like a big media tour. We were covering it as well. Carnage House, obviously the most influential media platform that gave him coverage. Um, and so he's, he's been doing that. But what happened was after that, after he exposed Jeffries, um, Comedy Central, my understanding, went to the social media platforms, Instagram, uh, among others and said um, please take Arby's account down so I think his Facebook got banned my understanding is his yeah my understanding is his Facebook got banned I think his Instagram's still up and his YouTube's still up but he's had some of his social media uh, stuff taken down Jim Jeffries hasn't issued a public statement even though everybody in his comment section is asking for it um, and it's uh, it's it's a bit of the bit of the deep state bit of the deep state in uh, big tech yeah, and one of the um, one of the things I like I took away from that sort of interview, uh, the the one that Arby recorded, was that Jim Jeffries was saying some like actually really uh, Islamophobic things. He was some saying horrific, um, not just in the interview, not just that in that interview. If you <clears throat> if you saw the video that Arby posted, he actually took cuts out of all of his stand up co- comedy. Yeah, asked, yeah, 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 yeah. All like this guy's got a history of 
Um, and he, he's, uh, if he ever came out and made a statement, he'd be like, oh, I'm a comedian, I'm allowed to joke about these things. But please, God, the yeah. comments about women, comments about Muslims, um, comments about homosexuals, this guy is a disgusting, spiteful, hateful human being who masks that um, with, with comedy. You know, We know what he's thinking, but he uses mm. his veil of comedy um, mm. to be able to get away with all the crap that he's been saying. Yeah. And yeah. He says in the interview as well, I always look good in my interviews. Yeah. So um, he, kn- he yeah. knows so how to... Jim Jeffries has, I think, received the... Uh, famous Jussie Smollett Beta Male of the Week Award from Carnage House Productions several times. I think we just give him another nomination, another nomination this week. Yeah. Anyway, um, is there anything else you want to we want to add to the story? Because I really do want to talk about you on the campaign trail. I want to I want to hear what real politics, grassroots level campaigning on the ground is really like. Is there anything else you want to add to this RVM and I or, or big tech censorship story before we move on? Oh, I could open up a can of worms. Let's leave it for another night, I think. Okay, I'm very happy to do that. Now, you've been on the campaign trail, bouncing between Melbourne and Sydney and maybe a few other places, you'll let us know. Um, but you've dropped a few hints to me, like, oh, there's some a few dirty tactics on the ground that kind of the average voter like us wouldn't really kind of see or, or get it, be engaged or with. Or the media won't cover. Um, and, or the know, media won't mm-hmm. cover. Um, so tell us a bit about what you've been doing and how the campaigning experience on the ground is really like. Well, uh, I, I can't say that I'm a seasoned campaigner. Um, I campaign just more out of passion. Um, that passion is to um, give our local members, you know, who I'm campaigning for the party um, the best possible chance, you know, my own little trickle piece of help, you know, combined with everyone else's hard work um, to, to really... Uh, lift that primary vote up uh, in each respective um, electorate. Um, so obviously we've had the New South Wales election. The New South Wales election was a feral campaign, obviously, from the left. Um, you had the likes of, obviously, Labor with their ways. You had Keep Sydney Open. You had all the druggo, um, pinged-up um, idiots posting degrading and disgusting things about the Premier online. Um, oh, and, you know, I've... I've been asked to go and bury my own, uh, start digging my own grave um, over my dead body. You know, all these disgusting, despicable comments were thrown at me um, in the New South Wales election when I was handing out how to vote cards for... The worst place was, of course, at Town Hall pre-poll where you had all the greenies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, uh, and yeah, it was just... It was just... It was was feral. But, you know, paid off. All that hard work paid off and... I only did a very small part of campaigning for, for the local um, electorates that I participated in and a whole heap of other people cop more abuse than me and, and, and put more of their blood and sweat into it. And, and we, you know, the volunteers of the campaign, they don't get hurt. You know, they, they, you know, it's the politicians, you know. Let's move on to the federal one, right? Um, Tony Abbott's had feces in a book put in front of his, you know, office um, he's had his core flutes defaced, he's ripped down, vandalised, you know, you name it. You know, Jason Falinski, he's just had his core flutes defaced and ripped down. Anti-Semitic ones as well, you know, Josh Frydenberg. Um, Warren Mundine, the Aboriginal um, mm. Liberal candidate. Yeah, we quite um, like Warren. You know, uh, he's been labelled as a racist. 
Mm. Um, <laughs> he, he does have and, enough privilege points, and he's so. he's got his he's has had his um, core flutes defaced. Um, What's a core flute? I don't even know. What a uh, core, core flute is. is you know the plastic the um, real estate posters. You know, so that's the, plastic, the poster yeah, you put up on plastic, the. Uh, yeah. On, on the telegraph lines or in your front yard. You know, in the front yards and everywhere yeah. else, yeah. Julian Julian Lisa has had his um has had his campaign material um, you know, defaced. Um, mm. you know, with with anti serious anti Semitic um, you know, I'm mm. not even gonna describe what it is because it's despicable. Um and and you know, this is you know, obviously um the Prime Minister, the egging you know, mm. attempted lunatic lefty mm. who who shared Green's um, social media posts on her Facebook, you know. The Greenie tried to throw did an she egg get, in. Did she get... She's getting anything? charged. Well, good, because there was that bloke in... Um, obviously, Egg Boy, he got off. Um, and I have mixed feelings about that, but I feel like you don't get really... You don't really get a free pass for throwing eggs at politicians, but... The guy who the person who threw, I think, an egg at Jeremy Corbyn in Britain oh, recently. Yeah, I think yeah. they copped like twenty eight days jail or something yeah, like he that. Cop, yeah, he got charged and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, if Bill Shorten copped the egg, um, imagine I'm, if Julia Gillard copped the egg. She did. Julia Gillard. Egg, well, I mean, if we go back to Julia Gillard, you had people out the front of Parliament House, right? They were they were part of the Abbott mob, I guess, if you want to call them that, the anti um, carbon tax people. And Abbott famously got up and, and, and had a speech in front of him, and then he got labelled as a, a sexist, miso- um, I can't pronounce the misogynist, word, misogynist, um, you know, all of that, uh, because some a couple of people had ditched the witch up, you know. Yeah. But you look at what's been made about the premier, um, her in brothels on yeah. Pornhub, um, her face on, you know, some disgusting things. That did not receive any condemnation because mm. it's a conservative politician. It's a liberal mm. politician. Yeah, exactly. And but anyway, all of that, right? You've had all these, um, you know, reasonably public. Um, the media, you know, the media has has reported on on all these racist and unacceptable damage to to election material by the by the loony left. Um, but the volunteers, you know, you don't hear their stories, and I've. Um, People have attempted to attack me while I've been out. I've heard, I've heard um, of fellow volunteers being attacked by lefties and, and Labor campaigners on, on the campaign trail. Now, and do you think that? Um, do you think there's any attacks or defamation uh, on like Labor materials or Labor volunteers? Very. I have not seen anything. I have not seen any Greens. Actually, I drove past a, a corner of the construction zone and and. I saw, you know, they're putting up those Greens climate, mm. vote for climate posters. That was probably the only left campaign material in this entire time that I've seen deface. And you know how it was defaced? Someone's just gone walk past and just ripped through the middle of it. That's right. honestly, I, I have not seen anything else mm. yet. I've, okay. I've had my core flutes that I've been putting up around um, Benelong, um, you know, the, whoever's putting up the labor core flutes, they've come and actually put their core flutes straight on top of ours. I've seen them being ripped down. Right. Um, you know, it's it's feral, you know. It is um, it is a bit of a dirty game, um, politics and on the ground campaigns. Um, so what's the um, so who have you been campaigning for? I've been campaigning uh, in um, Benelong. 
federally and Who's I, that? is that John Alexander? John Alexander, yeah, former tennis player. Um and he's a great guy. And um and I just flew down this weekend just to give um <clears throat> Goldstein um, Okay. Yeah, hand. Tim Wilson is another great guy. Really respect both of them. Um and um and I really, really, really hope that they'll they'll do quite well in this election and what do you think the realistic what, what, where do you see the Liberal Party's chances at this point? Or what can you say? What the what? How does the Liberal Party feel about their own chances? Look, it could end up being like one of those Trump moments, right? The polls say we're going to lose, which they do at the moment. Yeah, just yeah, they're, um, they're coming in, aren't they? It's slowly going up. Um, yeah, even if Labor gets in, it's going to be a hung Parliament. Um, look, we're all trying to be positive in the Liberal Party, and. Um, and we're definitely, you know, safe seats, you know, with um, safe seats with high margins. There is, I do not see any evidence of any complacency from, from the, the, um, the local members currently there and, and their campaign team. Um, you know, everyone's being quite, you know, positive, let's just say positive. And, um, and we are being op- um, opportunistic as well, but not, mm. but not complacent. I, mm. I have a feeling... I don't know. I have a feeling that the Liberal Party will will win, um, but on a hung parliament, that's my. I'm just prediction. kind of disappointed in the Liberal Party in the sense that you're you you know you you're down in the polls against Bill Shorten. Like, what series of events has led to this catastrophe? Like, yeah, take a good hard look in the mirror. I'm looking at ScoMo and Malcolm, and throw Tony Abbott in there, Julie Bishop. Um, Barnaby Dutton Dutton um, gets in there as well Dutton's in there as well I guess it's just like take a good hard look at yourselves look at the person who's beating you and what type of reflection is that on yourselves the Australian people are obviously fed up of um, you know the merry-go-round of of, of leaders and Australian people want stability and they haven't seen it from both governments well this is what I think is um, there's kind of a beacon of hope in Johnny Ruddick and the uh, democratisation of the Liberal Party campaign, which would hopefully, uh, my understanding is hopefully by the end of the process, if it goes as they would like it, mean that in a similar way that the American parties have a primary vote for their leader, we would have a primary vote for the leader of the Liberal Party. And I think that would actually... In this case, would win hands down. Yeah, and that would actually mean that um, I think everyone would be a lot happier with that. Mm. Um, because we nobody really knows about the factions in detail, but we know they're there, and we know that there are op- no factions in the Liberal Party. Allegedly, yes, I don't know. Um, but um, we, uh, yes. Um, Andy, anything to say to that? Look, um, not really. I think I think it is. Um, I do think it's going to be closer than what people expect. I think okay. that if it goes. One way or another, it'll be very close. All right, I found my point because I lost it, and that's why I threw it to Andy. But I, I, found I know it. it was a hospital pass. <laughs> it was an absolute hospital pass to Andy. Ribs got crunched in that dangle. Ribs got crunched. Um, no, but I think if we had a, a, a primary in a similar way that Republicans have a primary when they chose like Donald Trump, and the Democrats have a primary, for example, well, they didn't actually choose really Hillary Clinton. That was the party itself choosing Clinton, not the people. But. Um, I think everybody would be a lot happier and the leader's policies would actually reflect a lot more the policies that the people want to see because you'd have a lot more campaigning for people's interest um, than for 
the the interests of, of the factional bosses. Now, I'm not going to force you to comment uh, on that, Armin, because uh, you might be in some sort of position. Um, but I'm no, a no, big fan of uh, Johnny Ruddick and uh, what he's doing. Yeah. Oh, look, I think um, I think it's an interesting suggestion. Um, I don't entirely disagree with it. Um, I think I think local members are very important as well, and each local member's got its own their own set of sort of policies and targets and objectives that they want to be able to achieve for their for their local area. And then there's obviously the broader policy, which is the party policy, and mm. I think we kind of see that now. Um, it is becoming more, of course, identity mainly from the left, but it's a very identity sort of politics driven with the way they are and they're, they're showcasing Bill Shorten's face, you know, I mean, just mm. driving through Melbourne, I just got sick and tired of seeing his face up on massive billboards everywhere. But um, I think we're already having that. I think I think the Australian public know, um, that's my, this is my opinion, but I think the Australian public know that if they want Bill Shorten to be elected... Um, they're going to vote for the Labor candidate. And if they want um, ScoMo to be elected, they're going to vote for the Liberal candidate. And, mm. um, yeah, look, I'm, I, I don't have an opinion on it, but I, I'd value the, um, mm. the significance and importance of having each, each mm. area having its own local MP and, mm. and each local MP championing what's um, important to their local area as well. Okay. And fighting for them. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, now... I think we can bring it back. We're almost going to do the 360. We're going to bring it back once with the jumping to conclusions, and we're going to bring it back again with back to the bush. Unless you have something extra to say. I was thinking there is our most, our most famous, the most famous segment of the show. Beta male of the week. It's what now, uh, Alex gets in hot water with with his. Hot, he gets cooked by his girlfriend. Shout out to Ellie if you're listening for this segment. We do. Um, um, and so we do, every week, we do a beta mail of the week segment. I don't know if you're I've familiar noticed. with it. You've noticed. Well, that's good to hear. Armin's a, a faithful listener. So I'm going to throw in, for, if you have any nominations for beta mail of the week, but what is, feel what free. Is, what does a beta mail do? Well, a beta mail is some somebody or an institution, or it could even be a more expansive thing because there's we, we think that mail can be gender inclusive and also institutionally inclusive. So we've previously given it to the big tech companies. It's pretty, it's pretty much just... It's, it's a male is now just a noun. Anything. It's just a noun. Um, it's just... It could be a noun, but we don't want to be uh, verb discriminatory either. So it could be even an adjective if, if you're so inclined. Um, so I'm going to throw my beta male of the week this week to Instagram for taking down the blurred out face of Tommy Robinson uh, in what is a... Not so much surprising, but shocking. Uh, just a shocking policy decision, shocking philosophical decision, uh, and shocking moral decision. I Any think, other um, one? Well, Jim Jeffries, as we said Jim before. Jim Jeffries, he's a classic. He um, always gets one. I think uh, Qantas also gets Yeah, Qantas definitely gets one. Um, Do you have any, Armin? That you'd like to nominate could be even from the campaign trail. Well, look, it's just going to be Bill Short, Bill, be Bill, Bill Shorten for me. Big Bill, okay. Bill yeah. can get one. The if guy he, can't. If the guy can't get his figures straight. He doesn't know his own policy. Well, look, I'm if I'm deadly honest, I only watched one debate, um, and that was the one that Scott got a bit too uncomfortably close with Bill on, and I thought Bill performed better in the debate than Scott did. Um, 
But, um, you know, I'm happy he's, to leave the chips He's a unionist. Mm. He's, a, he, he's convincing. You should, see, you should see his appearance on Q&A. He was getting grilled by some audience members. And my unbiased opinion is that he pulled it off really well, even though he was getting grilled and he couldn't answer the question properly. But he made it sound as if he addressed the problem. Right. Like, he's... He's a he's a yeah. clown and he's a he's a magician. At the he same was time. he he definitely presented himself a little bit better than Scott did, and Scott made a a pretty bad mistake, in my opinion, of tr- trying to invade Bill's personal space on the stage. Um, but no, I'm happy for you to nominate uh, Billy Boy for a beta male of the week. I think in- Instagram takes the pr- takes the prize. I was going to give it to Qantas. I, I'd like I vote for Qu- Andy votes for Instagram. Who? Now you might, if you vote for Bill, we're going to be in a we're, we're going to be, be in a, a triple threat situation. <laughs> Instagram, in, okay, Instagram gets it. So, um, beta male of the week goes to Instagram, and maybe on the flip side, alpha male of the week goes to Arby and Tommy. Are we happy with that? Very happy with it. We can make a phone call to him. Okay, well, that'd be great. Listen, let him know. Um, we'll let him know. I'm sure he'll be jumping for joy when he realises he got alpha male of the week. I'm sure in the big uh, conservative libertarian political circles, they're thinking. I love the beta males of the week, but why don't we get any damn attention with the alpha males? Yeah, they yeah, need some alpha male attention. Maybe we'll bring that in because we maybe we need to spread some more Good positive vibes. vibes, Good vibes in the world. Only. Some some positive energy. Okay, so first first wrapping up the loose ends is we're coming back to Andy's jumping to conclusion. Why? Why don't you? Well, I'll I'll, I'll rephrase it. Why everybody should participate in some form of arts. Yep. So firstly, uh, art isn't necessarily painting or drawing i think it's also uh poetry podcasting podcasting even i think it's more just being able to express one's thoughts and emotions um, and emotions which we're all about here a big wholesome love on chb love, love your homies um i think a lot of times when people get into uh have emotional issues it comes as a result of bottling up of emotions i think um when you see people just get agitated and agitated and you can see the build-up and you can see something's going to come eventually. And I think that if you're able to like express yourself, even to yourself, it does, it's not something where you have to show others. It's something where you can just get your thoughts out on a page, like just see your own emotions out somewhere as a way of sort of... I know expressing yourself comes out uh, in quite a soy manner when you, it's been sort of stigmatized like that but it is i think it can actually be quite helpful especially for people um who do go through serious issues where uh they their emotions are hard to come out especially males i think um we're discussing it today how um in western countries we have high suicide rates higher than what it should be um and so i think if we're able to express our own issues and express our own emotions through art, I think that'd be uh, helpful and beneficial for everyone. Okay, I'm pretty happy with that. I think that's I think that's pretty good. I like the expressive bit. I like the expressive bit. Uh, channel some of that emotion into the art. Get it out there. Um, yeah. I think a couple of famous artists, uh, if we're going to talk about art as in drawing and, and that kind of stuff, a couple of... Famous artists have used art to um, vent their frustration and, and you know, mm. feelings, etc. And um, yeah, I think if if you if you're motivated 
uh, if you, for example, are, are depressed or have suicidal thoughts and stuff, and art is a way of motivating you to let your feelings out without actually having to go and open up to someone, which you're probably not comfortable with doing, mm. then that's a way of, mm. that's a saving grace, really. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yes, absolutely context. true. Um, okay, beautiful. Now, finally, and this is something I'm quite interested in, actually even even personally, because I don't know that much about it, but I see some cool posts. I see you in some awesome places with some awesome scenery uh, out in the outback, some some snowy days, some mm-hmm. um, hot days, uh, but you get yourself out almost, it looks like, in the middle of nowhere, where there's kind of no one for, for, for a long way, uh, and it's kind of you in a four-wheel drive, and why don't you run us through, um, you kind of gave us the social enterprise aspect. Why don't you tell us what you actually do? Yeah, so um, I, uh, I I'm I'm kind of the Russell Coit uh, at the moment because I my mates that come out with me they um, they always get videos of me chopping wood and I miss the wood and uh, you know the, yeah. you know uh, I I'll, I'll get I'll go around somewhere and be full confident that I'm going to get up a hill or through a bog and I'll go into it and I'll get stuck or in some weird position and. You'll hear the old Aussie adventures. Yeah. Time to hit the road. Um, yeah. So I'm a bit of a. I take it seriously, but I I I uh, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll do these. Um, I'll I'll, I'll fuck up, hmm. but it's a serious fuck up. It's not a parody fuck up like Russell Coit, right? Yeah. And um, and and that's part of why I want to go out and take people with me is because um, part of them sort of taking the piss out of me. Mm. really drives me to get out there with some boys and, and have some fun mm. even though um instinctively mm. and naturally i'm and inherently i i'm i'm doing everything in a serious capacity but i know at mm. some stage i'm gonna fuck up mm. and there's gonna be someone there to do the all mm. aussie adventures my mom says yeah. I, I love that but the passion i think my passion is is about um taking people out to all the real special places that i mm. um that i hold dear to my heart um and and know um, a lot about I'm really fascinated about the local history I'm a conservationist um, I'm really big on environment um, and the significance of every special sort of environment micro environment um, you know the high country is is um, what is that what is high country the, the high country is the Alps the Australian Alps so anywhere really above 12 1300 meters above sea level it's a very special very unique place in Australia um, you know the the ecology. You know um, the history of the high country is is something that I cannot. Um, you know I'll, I'll never ever be able. To, I'll I'll, do, I'll go to my grave still not knowing everything about the high country. It is so so special and so unique compared to all the other high countries around the rest of the world. And I want people to go out there and see it. I don't want lunatics going out there and see it. I want people to come with me and I want them to take them through this region. And tell them what's significant about this one meter of track that we're going on. What's significant about this tree? Some of the oldest trees in Australia grow in the high country. The snow gums—they grow in um, really crazy, volatile weather up there. And you know, you've got one that I always go and visit. It's a very special one. If you watch Game of Thrones, I call it the old, old god of the high country. Right. You honestly, seriously, like I'm—I I am a bit spiritual person. Um, personally, I would actually literally go and touch the tree, which is about seven hundred years old. You know, this tree's seen Aboriginal elders holding meetings under its leaves, you know, under its branches. It's seen the pioneers come through and the first explorers. It's seen, um, you know, it's, it's, it's had 
um, the drovers up there with the cattle, you know, the farmers, and now it's seeing all our all the bushwalkers and four wheel drivers up up in the high country. It's a it's a it's a real historical marker, just like all the other historical marker, the the huts as well. I'm a volunteer in the Kosciuszko Huts Association, and this hut, um, this association, is essentially protecting and and um, you know they they they're um, renovating huts um, that need work on them. And they preserve these historical markers of the high country when in the 60s national parks came in and they started bulldozing these huts because they weren't part of a natural environment. So this association was formed in the 60s sort of as a, as a rogue sort of thing um, you know, to go in there and then actually protect the huts and rebuild these huts that national parks was knocking down. And now it's a formally recognised association that goes out and, and protects and, and rebuilds mm. huts and maintains huts. And again, it's... Um, yeah, it complements what I do and, and um, you know, it's not just the high country, it's the outback as well, it's the bush, it's really anywhere in Australia that no one knows about and no one gets access to, I get access to and I know about it and I want to take people with me to actually explore it mm. and, and, and see it as well, a very special place. Is and there any requirements for the people you take? Like they, they Look, they've got to pass the personality test with me, I've got to be able to trust them because mm. a lot of the places we access are through um, private property, mm. and I have um, I have a relationship with some of the private property mm. uh, owners, not some of them, all of them, um, and I've got good rapport with them. Um, they respect me, and I respect them even more, um, and they trust me that everyone that I, and anyone that I bring through there, um, you know, shares the same values um as me respecting private property respecting mm. the environment respecting mm. the history so if some if one of the listeners likes the idea of going four-wheel driving through the high country uh is there a chance they could go on one of these trips definitely i get people messaging me all the time um i can't take everyone out and i can normally tell a bad egg very quickly uh, as well but um yeah i'm pretty straight up if Okay, yeah. awesome. Now, how do people find out more about Back to the Bush? Uh, or, or, and how can people find you? What's, what's the links? The, the, the is the plug section. We'll the, put it in the description as well. Yeah, well but the, where's the best yeah, place? To, the, Facebook, the Facebook page, Back to the Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, or the Instagram, Back number two, The Bush. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Um, well, we'll throw all those links in the description down below. If you like our content, feel free to subscribe. Um, we're trying to grow YouTube a little bit more. Um, also feel free to check us out on Facebook and, and iTunes. And if you especially like the stuff, this is this is for the real, the real OG rich super supporters who want to send us into the stratosphere of political commentary, feel free to support us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Um, that really helps us out. I hope you enjoy, you know, we spent some of our of our support money on these new microphones and I hope you guys can tell the audio difference. Um, so we're making these investments slowly but surely. We also got that camcorder, um, which is over there, which we've had the close up on the guests for and we're gonna have that going forward in the future. Um, so we're, try- we're trying to develop our game as much as we can uh, and we're gonna take you guys along for the ride with us. Um, I'm happy to leave it there. Anything else from you guys before we say goodbye? Thank you for your uh, invitation to appear on the podcast. Mate, no problem. We'd love to have you back. Definitely. There's a lot of things to discuss. Oh, one more thing. This is the most important thing. 
the most important well, one. One of the most important things okay. is that uh, if you're still around, I should have really advertised at the start, but we might can, we can probably just plug it at the start. We could plug it at the start, and we could just do you want to plug this bit in at the start. I'll be putting it there, there, to there. Yeah. Okay. Great. Is um, the plan is for this weekend on the election day to do a live stream in the afternoon slash evening uh, of the election. So we'll be calling the election as the seats come in, as the ballots are counted up. Uh, we'll give you the rundown, what's the important things going on, what do you need to look out for, um, what each party's proposing. Um, but it will be pretty relaxed. I'll be, I think, having... We might be even... Uh, we, we've had some suggestions to take a shot for every seat that Clive Palmer wins, uh, among other drinking games, which could be fun. Um, but it'll be relaxed. So if you if you want, if you if you like Carnage House political commentary, feel free to like have us on in the background. So we'll be probably live streaming on YouTube and Facebook and maybe Instagram as well. So throw us on in the back um, at a prees before you go out or just check in every now and then to see how drunk we are and how the election's going is the second most important thing. Uh, feel free to do that. But anyway, more information on that coming. Can't wait to bring it to you. Bye-bye. See you next week. Um, do I just press the square button? Yeah, press the square button.